0: Hello and welcome to Honey Are You Happy, a podcast dedicated to breaking down stigma around mental health through authentic and sometimes quite challenging conversations, inspirational stories and educational segments. I'm your host Joss Walden. I'm an assistant psychologist and ambassador for the UK's leading eating disorder charity BEAT. I have a wealth of experience in mental health, public speaking, advocacy, research and behaviour change. Most importantly, I am your biggest cheerleader when it comes to helping you put your mental and physical health first. Hello and welcome back to the first episode of 2023 for Honey You Happy. I have taken a well-needed break and a long rest from doing any sort of podcasting, blogging or private health coaching work but it is now mid-January and I'm really back into the swing of things now. The first episode is one of my favorites. I I think I say that every single time but really guys it really is. I've got the most amazing lady talking today. She is a trainee counseling psychologist. I swear I could listen to her speak for hours and this episode goes into so much detail about therapy, the benefits of therapy, um, why you might need it, the different kind of modalities and things to look out for when choosing a therapist and what those kind of words like CBT, psycho psychodynamic psychoanalytic all those kind of words that you might come across when finding a therapist mean it's such a great episode grab a cup of tea snuggle down and enjoy hello and welcome to the podcast Yalda thank you very much for having me <laughs> <laughs> okay just would like to start by just kind of giving a brief overview of who you are
1: and uh, kind of what you do um, so, my name's Yalda. I'm a trainee counseling psychologist. Um I'm in my third year, so looking to graduate soon. Um, yeah, exciting. So. Oh
0: <laughs> Has it been a really long three years? Has it felt, or has it gone quite quick for you?
1: I think it's it's gone quite quickly um, and it's kind of at that stage now where it feels like there's not long left. Um, but at the same time kind of just really wanting to I guess make the most of kind of everything that the university has to offer Um, but it's been a really a really good I was going to say three years but a really good two and a half years um, (laughs) coming to the end soon which is yeah
0: exciting but scary exciting yeah I bet oh you'll be fantastic um and for many of our listeners they they don't really know the psychology world it's quite complex actually I don't really even understand it um but there's lots of different branches in psychology most people have heard of kind of like clinical psychology or think of psychologists as working in mental health although of course there are lots of different fields that psychologists can work in um, could you briefly explain the difference between kind of counselling psychology and
1: clinical psychology? Absolutely. So I think actually it's a really interesting kind of question, because when we look at clinical psychologists and look at counselling psychologists, often there's a huge amount of overlap. And actually what you might find is kind of a greater almost within group difference so for example between two counseling psychologists compared to a counseling psychologist and a clinical psychologist so actually there's I think it's just really important to note that it's not kind of a one-size-fits-all if that makes sense and fundamentally kind of clinical and counseling psychologists are going to be their own therapists with their own experience and lens that they'll kind of bring to the therapeutic relationship having said that um so counselling psychology and clinical psychology might have slightly different training so both are doctoral level qualifications so everyone's done their three years um to a professional doctorate kind of degree um as a as a counselling psychologist in training um my experience has been i would say quite focused on um kind of the, the models of therapy that we use and it's kind of divided into years. So first year we've been doing person-centered therapy. Second year we did um, psychodynamic therapy and then in third and final year we've been doing CBT. And I I can't speak for the clinical psychology programmes um, but my understanding is that they're more placement-based. So at that point there might be... Um, kind of doing rotations and different placements. Counselling psychology, we don't have that same, um, I guess, expectation to do the rotation. We find our own placements. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of up to the individual in terms of kind of where they're gonna work and what experience they're gonna gain at that point. Um, Although there there is an encouragement, I guess, that we work in different places in order to get different experiences. So, I guess those are kind of some of the, the differences that you might get. And one of the big things for counselling psychologists, but I think it's it, absolutely the same way for clinical psychologists as well. As we said, it's down to the individual, but it's our humanistic underpinnings. Mm. Um, the fact that we're taught person centered therapy, which is a humanistic form of therapy for a whole year. And as a result, that's a really core part of our ethos as professionals. And I know that's the case for many other professionals and disciplines as well, but that's something that we hold quite kind of close to ourselves in our training.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think like person-centered therapy or care in general is so important because I think especially in our society, I don't know if it's just our country, I'm sure it's in other kind of more westernized countries as well. We tend to kind of have those like... um, boxes that we put ourselves in and especially on social media people will post about anxiety and treatment for this or you know and we all kind of like shuffle along the same pathway or people try to copy what other people do um whether it be healthy lifestyle choices fitness mental health recovery and we forget that actually our experience is so unique and no two people are the same no two bodies are the same no two brains are the same really
1: Absolutely and I think what I really like about person-centered therapy as well is it says we can flourish but we need the right conditions in order to do that and actually if you look at what's happening kind of across society and the challenges that so many people are facing politically and economically it makes sense actually that things are a lot harder Um, and I think when we think about almost that that kind of humanistic view Mm -hmm. in terms of we all have potential, we all have the ability to, to kind of um flourish in whatever we do but actually it's really really hard I think it just helps us be a little bit more compassionate to ourselves as well um and recognize the impact of everything else and all these external factors that sometimes it feels like we don't have control over
0: yeah definitely and and within that what are the kinds of repeating things that you see that are important to help people
1: flourish I think for me self-compassion is a really big part of that mm-hmm. um and that doesn't have to happen in a therapy room Um, there's quite a few guides around kind of um like compassion focused therapy kind of workbooks that people can go through but i think often we can internalize quite critical voices or quite difficult experiences and then almost this critical voice we have becomes a part of us and i guess there's something about actually what we don't necessarily have is that compassionate voice the critical voice can become really, really strong. So there's something about nurturing that compassionate side that I think is much easier to do for friends and family than sometimes it is to do for ourselves. Yeah, definitely. So for me, I think it's something really important about being able to develop that. And if that's really hard, I think actually that can be where therapy is quite helpful at exploring about what is it that's hard? Why is it hard? And what can we do in order to help? So yeah, that I guess yeah. that'll be one of the big things for me.
0: Absolutely. And I think when we're so used to having those, uh, that kind of inner critic on loudspeaker, that becomes our norm. That just becomes the inner environment that we live with, that we almost yeah. forget there's another way we can talk to ourselves, that we can approach ourselves, um, which can actually make us kind of function better and handle stresses better and make us more resilient and all yeah. the other things that are important.
1: Absolutely. And I, it kind of goes hand in hand as well with expectation to do more and be more and oh, kind gosh, of this feeling I of <laughs> it is and also just that feeling of like I should be doing this or I should I kind of want to do that but I shouldn't I should do this instead mm. and it's that we always it's very easy to put pressure on yourself to be doing more it's a lot harder to be able to accept yourself for who you are and what you're doing at that moment yeah um, and I think for me that's that's kind of a really important part of how we can support each other
0: Oh I love it so good (laughs) and was there anything that really kind of sparked your interest in psychology going right back to when you decided you're going to study and train in it? Oh that's a good question Joss. I just find that with psychologists we always have a backstory and and even in my undergrad, I remember one of the first days we all sat in the freshers kind of like, you know, our first ever lecture and the lecturer got us to turn to whoever was sitting next to us who we didn't know and tell them, you know, why are you interested in psychology? And the range of things that people came up with, a half of them mainly, well, more than half, probably like 90% of people, it was some sort of lived experience. Um, whether that be themselves, a family member, a friend, something that I'd actually thought, like, oh my gosh, like, um, there's something more to human behavior and our health and our well-being and how we function. Um Or maybe they've lived with um, a a brother or sister or something with a disability and thought, actually, I'm really interested in kind of like neurodevelopmental conditions and things. Um, And then there were the other people who were like true crime and they were like, oh, I just love, (laughs) you know, I love all the true crime books. And um, I had one girl sit next to me who turned to me and just said fetishes. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I was like, that's very niche. <laughs> I didn't really know how to respond to that. Um, I kind of, yeah, I was very shy in my first week. I was okay. Um, quite Just a range of
1: responses.
0: Yes, definitely.
1: <laughs> I think, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are so many, I think when we think about experiences that we all have, almost that feel like a part of being human in terms of loss um loneliness struggles around kind of the expectations that we just spoke about I mean all kind of all psychologists everybody we're all human so we all have those feelings too and I think there's this idea kind of that we speak about in terms of um therapists being kind of experts I mean experts in mental health and actually I think it's really important to say that everyone kind of has their own journey with their mental health and that journey looks different at different points in people's lives and I really like the analogy of kind of mountains and it being kind of just because you're working in the field doesn't mean you're at the top of a mountain the mountain being I guess our journey our mental health journey you're somewhere on your mountain I as a trainee psychologist am somewhere on my mountain and from where I am on my mountain there are bits that I can see kind of on your mountain barriers maybe kind of obstacles and that's the way that I like to think about it so I, I think for me obviously those those human experiences that we've all had Um but also I've always just been interested in stories and and narratives I kind of have seen my own life in a as a narrative I guess and I think that was part of the reason why I kind of ended up pursuing this field because I was just really I guess really interested and it is an honor to be able to share a chapter of people's lives with them and to be able to support people through a difficult time just as I've been supported at other times in my life yeah so
0: yeah and to have people so openly share stories as well because the stories obviously dictate how we perceive our world and how we interact with others. Um, no, I'm the same as you. I think stories are fascinating and I love the, the mountain analogy as well. I'm a sucker for an analogy as <laughs> those people who work <laughs> in psychology, I think are
1: absolutely <laughs> analogies are a great way to see I the really world. <laughs> I just uh, see it in nonstop
0: analogies. <laughs> definitely. And I love that idea of like being on a mountain, but being able to see something that, you know, someone else can't. And I guess, I'm thinking, I might be wrong here, correct me if I'm wrong, that fits within the humanistic approach of kind of, we're not the experts of a service user's mental health, they are the experts. It's their life, it's their story. We are just there as kind of bystanders to kind of help them along or help them maybe think of new ideas or see from a different perspective. Um, But they are the experts, they are the ones who have all the knowledge about themselves.
1: Absolutely. Whoever it is, is the expert in their own life. And what we can bring to the table, if you like, is the knowledge and the training that we've gathered through all the kind of the work that's been done. And we can try and kind of explore these models in accessible and helpful ways. And we can do that in a really lovely collaborative way where it's like you bring yourself into this relationship and I'll bring what I have to offer. And together we're going to find a way that works best for you and I think that's that's really important and as you said that is thinking about kind of your underpinnings as a as a psychologist as a therapist um it's all about supporting someone and helping them to get to where they want to get to um and only they will actually know that yeah
0: like it's about having that kind of relationship with the the therapist there that kind of can um, help support them and we'll go on to talking about kind of the importance of rapport in a bit because I know yeah. that is one of the crucial factors um we know that in January it is the busiest month for um the uptake of therapy people seem mm-hmm. to refer themselves and try and find a therapist um and this could be attributed to like, many different things maybe it's the time of year there's not much going on in January we might have had family dramas that have kind of triggered things that we need to look at is there anything that you think means that people go to therapy more in January?
1: I mean I think what I would say is I'm sure it's there's a million reasons and I couldn't possibly name them or even think about them all right now but I guess thinking about expectations and I, following on from that i mean christmas you can just see on any kind of social media turn on the tv any kind of advert and it's very much sold to us as it's this really lovely time everyone's going to be happy mm. kind of you're going to have all your family around you all your friends and i i think for some people where that isn't the experience or people have experienced loss grief any kind of bereavement around that area um or not area time (laughs) I think that's going to be difficult but also it brings up for people maybe previous experiences that haven't been easy whether that's with family or kind of with with other people um so I think it's really important to recognize that the expectation and societal pressure to kind of be happy have this great time actually I wonder if that in itself can lead to some distress but I also think maybe people are looking ahead to the new year and I think it's really important to say that you don't have to be in therapy because you're feeling a high level of distress about one thing or two things or or kind of experiencing difficulties. It can also just be a space in which you talk to someone about what's going on for you and maybe talk a little bit about everyday frustrations, everyday worries just in order to help you think about where you are and where you want to be as a next step so maybe there's something about almost setting the tone I guess for the year that you want to have ahead and that combined with the fact that any month can be difficult for people so in any given month we're going to get referrals any given month people are going to go to therapists and I think that's a fantastic thing Mm -hmm. to take that step and reach out to someone so yeah I think anyone who does that is incredibly brave and i really respect anyone who who takes that step
0: definitely and i w- sometimes wonder if it's a bit of a uk thing that we kind of i know it's the narrative is changing around it thankfully but um in america yes. actually it's quite fashionable to go to therapy because it's taking care of your mental health it's taking care of your well-being and just like you said people don't go when they've reached a crisis or when things have got so bad that you know oh my gosh now i have to go and get help it's not seen as that kind of thing it's just seen as a like someone to chat through things get a different perspective sometimes I wish that we could just change the kind of the way in the UK it's seen sometimes as being like a a bit of a, a weakness to go and get some help And it's like no it's a massive strength to want to develop yourself and kind of work on absolutely
1: in fact I would really encourage you to ask the therapist about what does integrative mean for them because it might be that they use CBT and psychodynamic therapy But rely more heavily on psychodynamic and CBT, and kind of bring in some techniques. Or it might be the reverse; it might be a predominantly CBT therapist, and then they use some psychodynamic thinking. So finding out what's at the therapist core. Yeah.
0: And so when we talk about therapies, am I right in thinking that when people say you know they're having psychotherapy, that is just any kind of talking therapy? That is just like the umbrella term for a talking therapy. And then within that, you've got like CBT, kind of psychoanalytic, yes. psychodynamic, um, person centered, e- like EMDR, the kind of different subtypes almost or modalities that you can like that more are more specific.
1: Yes, exactly. So some people might use the term differently, but psychotherapy basically translates to psychological therapy. Yeah. Um some people use psychotherapy as a shorthand for psychodynamic psychotherapy. Okay. So it could be worth kind of, I guess, just checking in on that, but that will always be available on the information sheet. And I
0: guess- What does that mean? So if like, I think lots of people hear CBT because that's the one that's most predominantly offered by the NHS, especially if you've referred yeah. through IAPT. What does psychodynamic therapy or psychoanalytic therapy
1: entail? And I guess what you could expect is- potentially less self-disclosure from a therapist, the therapist more likely to take a step back to allow any anxieties you have to kind of come into the center of a room. It's like unearthing them all quite quickly and then unpacking them, if that makes sense. So that's a more psychoanalytic approach. And that's just my understanding. And I'm aware that psychoanalytic psychotherapists will have a much more in depth and, and able to describe a lot more of a theory behind
0: it. Would people be mainly talking about maybe experiences in the past and things that have happened or would they be talking about like worries here and now and working on strategies or is it just kind of anything?
1: Mm. That's a really good point so these are likely to be a more open structure so they can talk about anything but what your psychoanalytic psychotherapist is likely to be doing is to be thinking about what's unconsciously going on for you so they might be thinking about Whilst growing up, what um, survival strategies did you develop in order to cope with whatever the situation was that you were in? And how is that present now? So it's basically how has the past impacted on the present? So okay. you can talk about the present all you want, but what they might be looking for is how The relational patterns are playing out. So patterns in your relationship, they might be thinking about um, what are you not saying about your relationship with the therapist, your relationship with other people. Um, They might be thinking a little bit about maybe um, kind of what's going on in your own relationship as well. How do they feel? How are they relating to you right now? Because that will help them understand more about your external relationships outside of the therapy room. So all of that and a whole lot more um, will be going on in a psychoanalytic, mm-hmm. psychotherapy. Psycho- like, and then there's been a lot of movement in this kind of approach and the more relational, psychotherapeutic or psychodynamic approaches. Um are becoming increasingly kind of well-represented, I would say, within the psychology field. So that's similar in terms of it's looking at your relationships, patterns in relationships. One of the big things that I ha- think these approaches have going for them is the emphasis on relationships because often it is us in relation to other people yeah. that we can find ourselves thinking about or going, oh, I wonder what this person's thinking, I wonder what that person's thinking. So actually understanding We exist in relationships and what role have our past relationships had on our current relationships? Um, So the psychodynamic um, approaches kind of really, really help with that. So if it's about understanding yourself in relationship to others, for me, I think that can be a really interesting approach. And also, if you want to make sense of how the past is impacted on the present, psychodynamic can really help gain insight around what it is that's happening now and how that was impacted has been impacted by what happened in the past
0: so is that really good then or is that a, a good avenue for people who've experienced some sort of relational trauma or maybe you have attachment issues and things like that
1: yeah absolutely if if that's happened for you if that's true to you and if you are willing and able to sit with exploring some of that in your sessions then it could be a really good fit
0: yeah because I guess that's as well what might put people off therapy is that oh gosh I'm gonna have to sit with some really uncomfortable emotions or even like the really ugly parts of us that we don't really like to acknowledge may exist at times so wow I didn't actually know that about psychoanalytic and psychodynamic therapy so I've learned something new today which is great So I'm going to rudely interrupt this episode to tell you all about the free things that you can go and find in the show notes. Firstly, if you are struggling with disordered eating, exercise addiction, or body image issues, this girl has got you. You can sign up to a free coaching call with myself. It's 45 minutes over Zoom. Please don't put off tomorrow what you can start healing today. Secondly, there is a free journaling guide. I find journaling was one of the most therapeutic things I could do for myself in recovery. It gave me such clarity, focus. It was such a great outlet for me. And it was also a way that I could teach myself compassion towards myself and start building some gratitude into my day. A lot of people don't know how to start journaling or think it's a bit airy-fairy. And so there is a free guide with some prompts to get you started and lastly i will be releasing a new intuitive eating book this year so if that's something that you're interested in doing please go over to honey are you happy on instagram drop me a message and say i'm in and i will send you over your free copy before its release thank you so much and without further ado let's get back to the episode So what other kind of modalities are there that people might come across?
1: I mean that's what I think I heard something that said there's like over 100 modalities. Okay. we so, <laughs> don't have we time might for that. Not have time? No. <laughs> um, but what I could talk about is like the other ones that I've I've done on, on my training um which are ones that tend to be kind of talked about Yeah, the common one yeah, because exactly. they're like
0: third wave as well um yeah ones but there are ones that maybe people would see like you said about the integrative um therapies where people integrate and use lots of different approaches um are there some common ones that when people say that that they would actually be drawing upon
1: absolutely so what you might notice is quite a few people um in their descriptions will say that they're person-centered so person-centered can mean different things um Obviously, everybody works in a way where they're focused on the individual and focused on what they need. Um, so, in that sense, people will often say that they're person centered. Um, person centered therapy as a modality is actually an approach which is really quite commonly associated with Carl Rogers um, and humanism as a movement. Um, so, similar to psychodynamic, it's kind of a non structured model of therapy. So, it Basically, when I say that, what I mean is it's kind of a an open space for anybody to come and just talk about what it is that's going on for them, what it is that they're experiencing at any given time. Mm. But the focus on person-centered therapy is about supporting individuals basically to have the what they call the core conditions. So when I say the core conditions, they basically can be kind of really loosely summarised as as like these following. Um, so the first is that the two people are in psychological contact. So it's just having two people together in a therapy setting. Um, and then the person who's receiving therapy is at a point where they're willing and able to receive. That intervention, I guess, yeah. in the sense that there's some kind of vulnerability there, which, as we spoken about, can be really difficult. And it's a really brave step for people to take. and. Is an absolute show of strength yeah. um the next is that the therapist is being kind of congruent in the relationship and that lucy translates to essentially just being kind of honest and open yeah. with the person who's receiving therapy um but i like to think about it as kind of helpful honesty <laughs> yeah. um so it's about sharing what might be going on for them if it's going to help the person in therapy um so it might be, for example, saying if somebody's talking about their trauma, it might be saying something like, "Actually, in this moment, I'm feeling really sad hearing about everything that you've gone through." Yeah. Um, so something that's going to help the client, like the person in therapy, to just feel like what they're saying is is being valued. Yeah. Um, the next thing is about unconditional positive regard. So that's basically knowing that whatever your emotions are the person who you're receiving therapy from is going to be warm towards them and non-judgmental towards them. Um, and then the next thing is about empathy and the person delivering therapy, feeling empathy towards the person receiving therapy, um, but also the person receiving therapy feels like they're being ju- seen in a positive and non-judgmental way and he experiences that empathy. And a pure person-centered approach, because now there are um, kind of offshoots and there's been development around that, but a pure person-centered approach would argue that that is enough. So a really kind of open structure where the therapist is aiming to provide all that. But I guess, as you say, actually, if you were to... Listen to a recording of person-centered therapy and a recording of psychodynamic psychotherapy. You might hear quite similar things. What might yeah. be different is the way that the therapist is making sense or formulating um, their understanding of what's going on with the person in therapy.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting because you'd hope that most therapists, regardless of what modality they kind of practice under they would be warm and empathetic and you know (laughs) absolutely like kind of just core characteristics that someone working as a therapist should have as well
1: absolutely and it is and and actually if you look at any it's really interesting if you read much of the cbt literature and if you read much of relational psychodynamic psychotherapy literature actually a lot of people will say these core conditions um the core conditions of which i just listed these are absolutely necessary for therapy, the Mm -hmm. question is whether they're sufficient. So whether they're enough. Um, So person-centered therapy modalities say, yes, they're enough, you don't need to do any more. Whereas psychodynamic therapy will go, actually, there's a little bit more that we can do by paying close attention to the way that, um, so you might hear about transference or counter transference. So just the way that relationships come into the room, really, and just paying closer attention to that or thinking about the unconscious. And thinking a little bit about these patterns that we might not be aware of, how they're informing us. And CBT might say, well, actually, it's important for us to think about how to empower and upskill people. Mm. And from my view, they're all absolutely important and valid ways of thinking. It just depends on what you're looking for and what your preference is around the approach that you would like your therapist to have
0: and I guess that's where the integrative approach is really strong because the therapist can kind of accommodate the different kind of needs of a session and absolutely kind of read the room and know how to maybe meet that
1: person's needs on the day absolutely and I guess it might be helpful here to bring in kind of a little bit about integrative versus pluralistic which is something else that is um talked about sometimes and something you might see. So pluralism is just this idea of of bringing in more than one therapy approach in order to suit the individual, depending on what it is that's happening at any given time. Whereas integration is more about integrating different forms of therapy, but maybe in a a more planned way. Mm. Um, So for example, as a therapist, you might find somebody who integrates CBT with um, relational psychodynamic psychotherapy. And depending on what they put at their core, so they put the psychodynamic psychotherapy at their core, what they're saying is I'm a, I am ai use relationships in order. My main understanding is through making sense of relationships. But as part of that, I might give people strategies in order to cope within those relationships. Yeah. So that's one of the ways in which you can integrate. Whereas um, pluralism is more about you're speaking to the individual and then you're asking the individual about what it is that they want to bring in potentially yeah um, so yeah
0: excellent i do want to touch on cbt a little bit because obviously that is a really common one that people will be coming into contact with and yeah. often time and time again if i talk to friends or you know people i meet who have had some sort of therapy cbt gets such a bad rep i hear and I have to say I am guilty of this as well and it was one of those things that when I was actually ill I hated CBT with a passion and now I really like it (laughs) (laughs) I can just maybe actually it was my rapport and also my willingness to change and my willingness to invest in the therapy that was probably a barrier at the time rather Mm. than the strategies that were being used what is your kind of take on how to get the best out of your CBT sessions and the really, um, helping people kind of understand the purpose of CBT.
1: I think that's a really important point, actually, because I think when we look at like where CBT came from, actually it started as, so, I mean, CBT is actually an integrative approach in itself because you're, you're integrating the cognitive approaches with the behavioral approaches. Yeah. And I think when we think of CBT, we can think of it as a really quite heavily protocoled um, kind of process where everything is following quite a strict kind of you do this and then you do this and you do this and you do this and you do it in 12 sessions and that's it. (laughs) But actually there's something I think that could be really helpful about assimilating CBT into the approach that we use. And one of the nice things I think that CBT has is it's it is actually quite focused on empowerment in a sense because what you are trying to do is as someone going into therapy, there's a very much a sharing of knowledge I guess is the best way I can describe CBT. So when you go into therapy the the therapist will recognize you as an expert in your own life. And for them, it is simply about bringing strategies and techniques that may help you to achieve the goals that you yourself are setting. Um, And then the idea is because those are being handed over, at that point, then you can take them and run with them and you can do whatever you want with them. So that I think is one of the strengths of of CBT, um, is that kind of when it's done in a person-centered way, or rather, when it's done in a way that is fitted to you and your needs, it can really help. It could be a really empowering process, basically. Um, and I guess the other myth around CBT is that it doesn't deal with things from a past.
0: Hmm.
1: And I guess, I mean, with CBT, we're looking at the core conditions and we're looking at the negative automatic thoughts and recognize that these are rooted by earlier experiences and historic experiences. Yeah. Um, But the difference between something like CBT and psychodynamic psychotherapy, for example, is CBT focuses on the present using behavioural, using cognitive techniques in order to kind of challenge those deeper thoughts. So for somebody who is maybe doesn't want to look back and explore early relationships, but is experiencing some distress or looking to to change things, CBT can actually be a really helpful approach. The other thing is CBT, like anything, when we're talking about new skills, new techniques, there is something about practicing it. The first time you might do these techniques, they might not be very helpful for you. And you might think, why on earth am I doing this? (laughs) Um, But the more you do it, the more they become a part of your routine, they become a part of your everyday life, the easier it will be to do them. And the more you will get out of them in the long run, so the homework, for example, and not you don't have to do homework if it doesn't fit for you. You can talk to your therapist about that, um, particularly in kind of private therapies, low cost therapies. They will adjust their approach around what's going to be most helpful for you. Yeah. Um, but there is something about practicing in any way that you can, <laughs> um, because that's how it becomes automatic. Yeah. I think the other big thing about using these techniques and skills is um, when you use them. If you're trying to use them at a point when you're really, really distressed, it's not going to help. Because at that point, your mind is going to be in this really anxious place and you're not necessarily thinking about, oh, I can do this thing. I can challenge some of these thoughts. It's more about identifying them as early as you can. Um, And I think those are some of the difficulties around CBT. It's saying that these strategies aren't helping me or it's saying that these strategies are um, kind of. I've forgotten how to use them, or these strategies don't help when I need them. I can do them when I'm in the therapy room and I'm feeling kind of more safe and secure, but I can't do it outside. Yeah. So there's something about using them as as frequently as you can, early identification or recognition of what's going on for you emotionally, and then using the approaches then, and practicing.
0: Yeah, it is hard at first. I know that um, you're with me the other day when I use the analogy of of walking in the garden. If you walked over mm-hmm. the same patch of grass every day you wear it down and make a little path and if that's your negative thought patterns and you're so used to walking along that path if you decide to change direction and make another path in your garden you're going to have to walk over that new patch of grass a hell of a lot of time to get that into a path and while you're doing that the other one is kind of overgrowing and it's almost like that's how we need to kind of challenge our thoughts and practice those techniques but people often get frustrated because like you said we don't get results from the first session you know uh, we suddenly realize that actually if you actually want to change some quite ingrained beliefs or thoughts patterns it's going to take some work
1: absolutely and i think what the other thing is if you're working with an integrative um, or pluralistic therapist there's no reason why you can't also bring in other models that might help um So other third wave behavioral therapies like compassion-focused therapy, acceptance, commitment therapy, depending on what it is in CBT that you're struggling with, those have been specifically developed in order to essentially be useful to people who are maybe struggling for CBT. So one of the biggest um, challenges to CBT is, I guess, for someone who's experiencing quite a lot of shame, if whenever you aren't able to do something instantly, that critical voice pops up and it's really, really loud. And they're saying, why didn't you do that? You should be able to do this. Why aren't you doing your CBT techniques? Something like compassion-focused therapy can help. And in using a bit of CFT can help make the most of CBT. And similarly with acceptance and commitment therapy, um, a lot of that's been built around the role of acceptance of distress rather than struggling with it. Yeah. Um. And I think a really great phrase that I've got from the ACT is, um, feel the fear and do it anyway. I love it. <laughs> and I think, I love it. <laughs> I think it's amazing. And I think it's something about if you're struggling with CBT, talk to a therapist about it and just explain to them what the challenges are. And you can either work through it using some CBT or you can maybe think about bringing in some other approaches in order to support you on your journey. Yeah. Um, but with any of these models if you're struggling talk to a therapist about it it could be really interesting to think about why what is it about this model that's not fitting very well with you and does that tell you something about what's going on for you right now yeah definitely
0: I really like ACT as well um, I love the values approach that it takes yeah um, and really connecting you to what matters and kind of highlighting sometimes the discrepancies maybe in your life it's almost like focusing back onto like who you are at your core and and what really matters and I think sometimes when life gets really chaotic or hectic or there's stresses or pressures that take over that's really helped me it's just focusing back on those simple values in each area of my life and not having it so goal focused because I think we're very good at setting goals to achieve but then actually being like you know why is this important what is the value behind that and um just yeah reconnecting to ourselves
1: yeah I think that's really important and actually to think a little bit about goals versus values I think goals sometimes we can almost use to beat ourselves up a bit more it's like you've either achieved a goal or you haven't and we're once again introducing this idea of success and failure Whereas actually living your life in line with your values that's not something you can fail at Because we have so many different values that yes, you might not be spending as much time with your family, but that might be because at that point you were prioritizing your your value around um, kind of compassion to to others or compassion to yourself. Mm -hmm. So actually there's so many values Mm -hmm. and at any given time, you're probably gonna be living in line with one of your values. And it's just being mindful and making that choice about what value am I gonna focus on? What needs a bit more attention, but nothing you're doing is wrong. um and i the other thing about act is it's just normalizing those feelings of distress and saying it's a big part of life it doesn't need to stop us from living a valued life it's just what's happening right now um and once again the analogy (laughs) no we love analogies um (laughs) of riding a storm and there being storms in our life and you're just dropping that anchor. So you can just try and kind of hold yourself in that moment, knowing that it's okay to feel this way for now. And that's it. again, compassion, it's at the core of everything, isn't it? Yes. But I've also <laughs> read that,
0: regardless of any modality, research says that actually rapport with the therapist is one of the most important things, if not more important than the therapy itself. What is your take on that? I mean,
1: I think it's something that we've been talking about since day one of the doctorate is about the relationship and the importance of a relationship. And there's a number of different things that go into that relationship. I mean, a really big one is trust Mm. and trust in the therapeutic relationship. And it's one of those things where I think rapport almost gives this idea of like friendship and getting on really, really well. And actually, and I'm gonna say this, this might be a little bit controversial, but you don't need to like your therapist. what love that. <laughs> because actually sometimes what your therapist says might be a bit difficult to hear um you might wonder why are they bringing that in you might disagree with your therapist and the important thing is trusting your therapist enough and feeling safe enough and feeling like your therapist is not going to judge you is going to see you with that unconditional positive regard that you can say that mm-hmm. that you can say this is really unhelpful because really when we're talking about the therapeutic relationship, we're talking about being able to build a relationship that's got choice and collaboration at its core yeah. um, and being able to talk about what's actually going on for you with your therapist, not feeling like there are certain things you have to keep to yourself. Yeah. So that's what I would say in terms of looking, looking for with your ther- therapist. Yeah. And if you can be honest with your therapist, and that can be quite a scary thing to do and, is a brave thing to do takes a lot of strength to say to your therapist no especially depending on what you're going to talk to your therapist about but if you can be honest with your therapist about what's going on the worries you have in the relationship not just with the modality then that that's going to really really help um but there's also as i said there are things that you can expect from your therapist as well and that's about your therapist all those core conditions that we listed meaning that in the relationship and I mean I really like this idea of um speed dating your therapist well <laughs> in-
0: <laughs> I did not sign
1: up for this So career <laughs> what I mean by that is I guess it's more seeing um finding your therapist through almost like a speed dating process in the same way you would speed date meet different therapists find the person who feels like the right fit for you not necessarily a therapist that you like but the therapist who you think you're going to be able to work with the yeah. therapist who brings something that you're looking for um and then together you can you can build that relationship um oh,
0: I so love yeah be date therapists be
1: date therapists yeah See, who you just to be clear it. don't actually <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. please <laughs>
0: don't actually try and date your therapist <laughs> very blurred brown <branding. laughs> <laughs> amazing yeah that is so true and I guess it all comes down to that kind of psychological safety for a a service user as well doesn't it and uh, especially for people who may have been through quite difficult experiences that felt very unsafe it can feel really scary to open up to someone completely random and trust them with maybe some of your most painful or difficult kind of thoughts feelings and beliefs um, and experiences so actually having time to find the right person is so so important um absolutely
1: and I think as you said it is a big thing to open yourself up to someone you're in a new relationship um and that's the same in any relationship isn't it mm. so of course it's going to be the same in a therapeutic relationship so you don't need to tell them everything straight away yeah. um talk about the things that are important to you the things that you really want to bring the things that are probably going to come up through therapy and that's more than okay um, to just let things unfold and as you build trust naturally if that is there in your relationship you'll be able to bring more and more and more yeah so yeah
0: so if anyone's listened to this episode and they're thinking oh gosh I know so much na- more now about therapies um where can they go to kind of get help where would you suggest as their first port of call
1: so I think part of that depends on, Kind of what you're looking for um so there will be a local IAPNE that offer short-term therapy um that's free therapy if you're interested in that charities like mind as well offer therapy um you can go if you're looking for a private therapist you can go on bacp and look at their list of registered and accredited therapists um registered means that they've had 100 hours or delivered 100 hours of, of therapy accredited means they've delivered 450 um so that might be helpful depending on what you're looking what you're looking for but also there are quite a few low-cost services out there um so if you just type in low-cost therapy near me then you can see the kind of places that come up but knowing what kind of questions to ask your therapist about the model that they use meeting different therapists seeing what feels right for you these are all things that you can do to make sure it's going to be the best possible experience for you
0: um
1: and as you said it might there might be moments where it feels more difficult if you've got that relationship with your therapist that's something that you can explore with them about what's coming up now Mm -hmm. um it's like i packing a suitcase, isn't it? Sometimes you see something, you know, like, oh, that's a bit of a- yeah. an unexpected item there. <laughs> That's just me
0: packing for any holiday. <laughs> the worst packer ever. I always get to the destination and I look at what I packed. I'm like, why? <laughs> I packed nothing of use.
1: <laughs> I don't uh, but know. I'm sure it was. There must have been something happening at a subconscious level.
0: Yeah, at the time I thought it was, it was so useful. Uh, yeah. Like I really needed that banana. <laughs> yeah, literally. All the snacks. I'm like, they have food in other countries. Always <laughs> oh, the case. So what's in the future for you is there a particular kind of population you're looking forward to working with or um are you wanting to go private or is there a certain kind of therapeutic approach that you're really interested in getting more experience in
1: I think I mean I'd probably say all of them to be honest <laughs> and i think that's the thing actually when we talk yourself. about the expectations that we set for ourselves once again we as <laughs> psychological professionals are no exception to that mm-hmm. um and always looking for kind of more and, and the next thing that we could be doing in order to develop ourselves um and i think for that reason compassion focused therapy acceptance commitment therapies are models i i find particularly helpful yeah um mm-hmm. And I think in terms of kind of next steps, I've I've been really lucky in terms of my experience of placement so far and I've really loved kind of everything I've had the opportunity to do and, and all of the people that I've had the opportunity to have worked with. So I don't really know what's gonna happen next. It's um all a little bit uncertain, but exciting. Yeah. So yeah
0: amazing well thank you so much for joining me today you always speak so articulately by the way about everything uh so it's an absolute <laughs> pleasure to have you on and i hope that it's been super super useful for our listeners today thank you for having me on it's You're been well. lovely <laughs>